I have always kind of uh, towed the line or crossed the line on what seems reasonable. It's funny, we're a playbook company, but like I throw out the playbook on everything personally and just try and like break the rules and keep going. But it is really about knowing yourself and trusting your intuition and learning to like accept fear and trust that it's okay to fail even if you do. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, I am so beyond excited to share this conversation with you today because it's with Jonathan Ronzio. Now, Jonathan is a mountain climber. He's an adventurer, but he's also one of the co-founders of Trainual. Now, you've probably heard of Trainual. It's a remarkable software company that helps business owners create digital training playbooks. And this business, I coincided with it a a handful of years ago uh, and got to know their CEO and founder, Jonathan's brother, Chris, And I've just been so impressed by the way they do things and by the way that they're growing and by the way they're helping business owners and business leaders scale effectively and practice healthy growth. And one of the things that's really stood out as I've followed the brand that is Trainual is their marketing. They are such creative marketers. And that's why I wanted to talk to Jonathan because he is the CMO, the chief marketing officer at Trainual. And he is really the brainchild of the strategy that we all get to see play out online and in music videos like the one that they just released and in all of the crazy projects that they do to get the word out about Trainual. So we cover a lot of ground in this conversation. We talk about all the adventures that he goes on and then we talk about how there are parallels from that adventure mindset uh, that feed directly into both marketing and leadership. And really, this entire paradigm of adventure is kind of reinforced by a phrase that I found on his website, ditch normalcy. So I wanted to start off by just talking about what is the normalcy that we're trying to ditch? I think normal is just, it's, it's expected, right? And it's the routine. That's just how I've always thought about it. And I've never felt like I was playing by anybody's rules but my own and wanting to, wanting to live 10 lives within the one life that I have. And so the only way to do that was to break the rules a little bit and figure out how to make magic happen, right? So for me, uh, ditching normalcy meant doing the unexpected and gaining experiences that most people don't have and letting that fuel perspectives that I could bring into future endeavors no matter where they went. The thing about my life, which we'll probably unsurf, uh, you know, uncover in, in this conversation is it's kind of a scatter plot that makes no sense. There, <laughs> there's, not like, there's not a line of best fit that got me to like, you know, where I am with Trainual right now today to talk to you. It's, but, but like when you start to uh, take a step back and look at, at each thing along the way, you know, the perspectives and the experiences become the the snow that makes the snowman of my world but uh <laughs> the but snow like, that it, makes it, the snowman of my world that is one heck of a metaphor man i love that <laughs> and I, I also think that's one heck of a setup for a conversation and that's really why like i thought it would be so fun to theme this conversation around the topic of adventure 
Okay, so you say you say I want to ditch normalcy, and and on your website specifically, it says that like the decision to ditch normalcy was around like leaving college. What does that decision look like at that time? Like, walk us through practically. How did you start doing and living into the unexpected? Well, at that at that point in my life. I had been working with my brother in a video production company for like 10 years. Uh, you know, I know he had been on, he's been on the show before. So Chris Ronzio, um, my partner in Trainual, he had started a video business when he was a freshman in high school. And so I just like, you know, I'm three and a half years younger than him and just grew up doing all the things my older brother did and trying to get involved and learning along the way and helping grow that. And so with a decade of experience in this entrepreneurial kind of world and this media production world, I was also studying marketing in, in college. I was always drawn more towards the like creative production side of things. My background being in, in also uh, as a musician, like I was in punk bands and just always writing music and performing. And so I, I was just drawn to creativity and the creative side of entrepreneurship. And that's what led me into marketing and just understanding consumer psychology and how to, you know, I think the music was the root of like, I'd write a song and figure out how do I get people to listen to this, right? And that's this, essentially marketing. It's like you create something and you want to get people to see it, to pay attention, to hear it, to look, right? And so for me, all the elements of what I do today came out of trying to, to like build a punk band at some point and then eventually <laughs> trying to help grow this, uh, th- this video production company. And then so I was, I was studying marketing in school and I just also had this passion for the unknown, and adventure and just pushing my, my limits. I had studied abroad in New Zealand and kind of got into every single adrenaline pumping sport there was out there. And, and so came back and looked at what's my next step after college. And I went to a business school where a lot of my friends were getting jobs as, um, you know, operations managers and finance uh, managers and, and portfolio managers and all these different companies. That's like the expected, right? What I talked about, like that's the step you expect after you graduate out of a business school. And, and for me, I knew I wasn't about to go into like a, a cubicle. I knew I wasn't about to go into a typical office job. That just wasn't ever my wavelength. And so as I looked at how do I combine my passion for, for adventure, my knowledge in marketing and entrepreneurship and storytelling, my uh, talent in creative media and, and production, and that all came together with an idea uh, called Between the Peaks, which was a, uh, an adventure film project that it took, you know, graduating school and seeing the alignment of those three things. And then basically in the next two and a half years, I dedicated myself solely to bringing that to life and then bought a one-way ticket to Chile with two friends and, uh, and went to climb and volunteer and make a film about like, you know, pursuing your dreams, but making a difference along the way. And that was kind of always like the four aspects of my world were work, life, adventure, impact. And that's what I infused into this, this project. And so that was kind of my definition of ditch normalcy was was like as far as you can go right it was a one-way ticket to Santiago to like go and buy a truck and climb Aconcagua and sleep on the road in the middle of the Atacama desert and have that kind of experience and then come back and worst case scenario would be like a, a heck of a trip with some of my best friends and my grandkids could look back on this footage from the time that I, I did that and that'd be a okay, win. Okay, okay, but you have to pause right there. Most people when they say worst case, <laughs> when they say worst case scenario on something like that, like they're not just saying like, oh, that'd be a great story. Their worst case scenario goes way worse than that, right? So it's like, it, I wanna know like, 
are you naturally just wired as an optimist that you see like these opportunities and things and you just have the maybe courage and maybe uh, naivety to go pursue them? Or like, was it something about the way that you were, were raised and, and your parents' encouragement that gave you the courage to go step out and do something like this? Like, where did that come from, Jonathan? I am absolutely naturally an optimist. I mean, I think it's the only way to live. And, and <laughs> it's fortunate. It's fortunate that I have friends around me that like when I do go on some of these like crazy climbs, I have people that that are more risk averse who will, you know, chime in and kind of pull me back from the edge a little bit, right? I, you need that balance. But I've, I've always been, you know, an instigator of making ideas happen and, uh, and mm. always had that kind of perpetual enthusiasm for just what, what more I could do, what else I could do, and always believed that I could do it. And I think that the root of that is, you know, it does go back to childhood, of course. And, and I was fortunate with my family dynamic. My, my parents have always been so, so supportive. My mom is incredible and, and always, you know, taught us to have confidence, but not cockiness and, and to believe in ourselves and our ideas and that we could, we could do it. I, I also seeing my brother, he, as a, a seven or eight year old was diagnosed with type one diabetes and was still going on to, you know, be a, a all-star athlete and entrepreneur and class president and whatever else. And so I, I had his example of like pushing past obstacles and, and having that kind of resiliency. And my dad was always so supportive. I mean, when, when I wanted to start going down the music route in high school, he took me to guitar center and bought a PA system and, and was like totally tolerant of me just jamming in the basement and screaming and stuff. So I just had parents that allowed me to, to pursue the things that I, I felt would make me feel alive. And that just compounded over time to give me the confidence to keep pushing it. Man, I didn't know Chris Ronzio was class president. That just makes too much sense for me. <laughs> I, I, he would totally have my, I'd vote for him today personally. So that's great. I love that. You use the phrase, and I don't know if this is a phrase you've used before or not, but I love this phrase, an instigator of making things happen. And I hear that and I'm like, man, that's actually a pretty good definition of leader. Like a leader is an instigator of making ideas or making things happen. So can you give us, and it can be literally from this, this outside of college stage or anywhere, like what's a good example of you playing that role of being an instigator of just having this idea that may even be a harebrained idea that then actually comes to fruition and comes to reality? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever used the, that specific phrase of tying instigator to it, but it works. I mean, it's funny. My wife has always called me like a, a, a legal con man. <laughs> because like I'm, I'm not trying to get anybody to do anything like illegal and that's going to harm them or anything like that. But like I, I have always had the ability through just like general optimism and enthusiasm to kind of guide people towards doing something either they could, they didn't think they could do or didn't believe they had the talent for or or po possibility for, or also just like jumping on board my crazy ideas and and me convincing them that no this is going to be fun this is going to work out i mean that that big adventure film trip was was one there are uh, countless other times that i i have convinced friends to come on uh, crazy trips with me or to do more than they can it, mostly in the mountains and related to adventure like my friend um my friend keith three years ago he had never been to the mountains at all and but he said he wanted to go hike and i was like all right cool we're, we're gonna go run this 
you know, eight mile loop up in New Hampshire's Franconia notch. And it's like 4,500 feet of elevation gain. And he's like, is that a lot? Is this going to be hard? I was like, no, you got it, man. And, <laughs> and like, just was psyching him up along the way. And it was hard for him, but like, I, I just have always, I guess, been a, uh, a motivator because I, I just have, I don't know. I have, a, I don't know where it comes from, but there's a positivity in me that I can't turn off. Mm, that's awesome. And that word adventure, I think, is really important. It's almost like the idea of adventure today. It's almost like it's more uh, popular on Instagram than it is in practice. Because like, I think almost people see this idea of adventure being lived out and, and they want it and they like it a lot and they see the images of it and the highlights of it. And it's, it's incredible. But then whenever you're faced with the idea of stepping into adventure, it's exactly what you said, Jonathan. It's like, it's unknown, it's uncertain, it's ambiguous. And like, literally like the thing that is essential in adventure is the idea that there's a chance this could like not work out and it could actually end up not great. And so I'd love to kind of jump into like that idea of adventure. First of all, just through all the outdoor endeavors that you've been on the mountains, you've climbed stuff like that and the lessons that you've learned from that. And then kind of step into the parallels of how does that apply to marketing? How does that apply to leadership? How does that apply to personal growth? But man, you've, you've done a lot of mountains. Like it seems like mountain climbing is kind of your thing or at least one of your things. The ones that I picked up on were Rainier, Kilimanjaro, Orizaba, I think is how it's pronounced. Like you've been all over. So I'd love to know, there's so many questions I have on this, but I'd love to know, is there one that stands out as the most memorable? And if so, why? Mount Rainier is my favorite mountain in the world. And, and I think it's the most memorable because it was the most out of my element. You know, I, I had had that idea to, to do between the peaks and the, and the idea there was to go down and climb two of the seven summits, right? It was, it was Aconcagua, the tallest mountain in, in uh, South America, and then volunteer in every country that had passed through on the way up the Pan American to Alaska and then climb Denali. And so those two were, you know, the big dream. And in order to even get there after school, I, I moved out to Aspen, Colorado and spent a year there immersing myself in the mountains and rubbing shoulders with some of the world's, uh, you know, most elite mountaineers who live in that valley and learning from them. But I had never done any sort of mountaineering. Like I didn't grow up doing that stuff. My parents, for as incredible as they were with like allowing me to to pursue my my dreams, they never sent me to camp. I, we never went like hiking or anything together. And so this was a later in life passion that that came and developed. And and so I was, you know, September of of I think this was 2012, I went out to Seattle with two friends and we we like rented some gear from REI and showed up on, on the slopes of Mount Rainier. And I remember the first time I saw that mountain, like driving up to it, it, it was bigger than anything I'd ever looked at. And, you know, we weren't going with a guide service or anything. We were putting ourselves to the test of like, let's just get up there. And so I was terrified. And yet I was leading the group and uh, the rope team there. And and we got to the top. We summited our first attempt. And I've been back a few times since to try and split board it. And, um, and Rainier is just, it's, it has a special place in my heart because it was the one that gave me the confidence that, that like, even, even when I was terrified, I could take on that massive of a goal and succeed. But it, that's no, not always the case. And I've, I've tried a lot of mountains, you know, of that scale and caliber and also failed and, you know, turned around for weather or, uh, you know, high altitude sickness or things like that at the same time. And, and you get the pros and the cons of, of each. You learn a lot from failing and having to turn back and have that, 
you know, that within you to be humble and, and understand that it's important to do that as well. But for me, Rainier is, is the number one. Man, uh, when you look back at that experience, especially that first time, what was the biggest lesson that you took away from that that has kind of transcended into other areas of your life? That I was lucky. Hmm. And that's, that's hard because it's not like a, you know, luck is not a strategy, but I know that I was underprepared for that mountain and still succeeded. Uh, there were, there were some real scary moments in the middle of the night crossing the glacier and ascending the, uh, the, the disappointment cleaver is what it's called. It's literally called the disappointment cleaver. And it sucks. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and, that's not super optimistic. That's not optimistic at no. all. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, so there were some real hard moments and, and real scary, like taking the wrong turn and being like, you know, toe it, pick in on a, uh, a like ice waterfall that was like with a thousand feet of exposure. We made it and made it down safely. But, um, but that's what I took away is that like, you know, I, I was lucky and grateful for that. And I think a lot of that comes from pursuit, not being afraid of trying, right? You can't be lucky if you don't try, if you don't, mm. if you don't play, if you don't do and, and so, um, so that's always stuck with me as like, why, why not just give it a shot? The mindset of why don't you just give it a shot could be either a recipe for outrageous success or outrageous, like really dangerous failure. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, how I mean, do you like how, well, I, I'm really curious to know, like in the outdoor adventures, and then I want to talk about this with regard to, to marketing and leadership and all that too, but like, how do you assess risk? Because especially for what you're doing on these mountains and stuff like that, like you've got to have some level of risk assessment to know what is the line of like, how likely is it that I'm going to be lucky? And what is the line right. of like, I shouldn't do that. So how, how do you evaluate stuff like that whenever you know you're prone to like, I'm just going to give it a shot? Yeah, I think it's it's very personal case by case, but it's, it's a matter of trusting your intuition and knowing like wh- what your baseline of experience is. And that's, that's with anything, right? I'm, I'm also pretty risk averse when it comes to, to business moves and some of the marketing things that we do, like who, who on paper would have looked at some of the plays that we've made with trainual marketing? Like even today, like <laughs> we're a SaaS company putting out music with Montel Jordan. Yeah. Believe me, we're going to, we're going to get there. Believe me. Yeah. yeah I don't I, know who does I, that. I, yeah. So that's a, like a little teaser. I don't know. I just, I, I've always kind of, uh, towed the line or crossed the line on what seems, uh, reasonable or, or like the, the, I, it's funny, we're a playbook company, but like I throw out the playbook on everything personally and, and just try and like break the rules and keep going. But yeah, it's, it is really about knowing yourself and trusting your mm-hmm. intuition and learning to, to like accept fear and trust that it's okay to, to fail, even if you do. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I've launched you know, I've launched businesses that I, I tried to do a coffee brand called Cafe Ronzio. I tried to do a, um, a fitness thing where I was like teaching entrepreneurship principles through like obstacle training called startup movement. You know, the prior business that I had before Trainual Explore Inspired, it was an outdoor media agency. It's more like a lifestyle business. It was hard for me to scale. It was a lot of fun. It provided a lot of opportunities, but it, it wasn't like any kind of wild success, but I, I tried. And I was never afraid of just like bringing the next idea to life or, or going on the next adventure. A friend would call me up and say, do you want to go do this thing? And the answer was always yes. It's funny. I think about that Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man. And, uh, and it's, it's just so true. It's just like, say, 
if you say no, what happens? You stay home. After this last year for everybody, do you want to stay home? No, nobody wants to <laughs> continue staying home. So start saying yes, do more, try more. And and so that's just always been my attitude and why I've I've never been somebody that's like able to focus on one thing. I'm always trying to do so much at the same time, sometimes to my like personal health's uh, detriment because I can burn out pretty easily. But that's the only way I know how to operate. I am not a sushi knife. I am a jack of all trades at my core. Mm. I know for a fact there's people that are probably listening to this right now that if they had the chance to talk to you, the question they would ask is like, okay, like that is my aspiration. Like there are things that I would love to do, but, and I have the time, I may even have the resources. The thing I don't have is the confidence. If they're sitting across from you and that's what they say, what do you tell that person, Jonathan? I tell them to think about the last thing that they can remember regretting, right? Stop thinking about the future for a second. Because if you're, if you're not willing to take a step towards the future and take a step towards those dreams and aspirations, let's pause and not focus on the future. And let's take a look at the past and think back at, at what is informing your fear. Where is that coming from? And then also, where, do you, where can you pinpoint regret? And what would you have done differently? And usually when you can start to like think back on those experiences in your life that you, you wished you did this, you wished you said that, you know, nobody wants to live with that. Nobody wants to repeat that. And when you focus on, on that, you'll find a little more strength to overcome Mm. the fear for the future. Gosh, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Do you follow Jordan Peterson at all? Do you know that name? No, I don't. So he's, he's a clinical psychologist. One of the things that he talks about that I think is just a life principle that's just been so helpful for me. And it's one of the things that I thought about just hearing you talk about what you just said is he talks about this dynamic of the words he uses is order and chaos. And he says that order is like system and structure and routine and consistency and habits that keeps you grounded where you are. It's, it's what's known. And he said, chaos is not just, it's not anarchy, although it can feel like anarchy. It's, it's more like adventure. It's, it's like the unknown, the uncertain, and, and it's stepping into things that you have not yet done that feel uncomfortable, but represent growth. And what he always says is like, you don't want to be just a person of order. You don't just want to be a person of chaos. You want to be the force that mediates between the two. And I love that so much. When I was hearing you talk about kind of your wiring and your bent towards adventure, the question that raises in my head is like, okay, how, like, how does he establish the order necessary? Or what is the order that he has in place that enables him to be able to take these risks and to have this adventure? So I'd, I'd love to know, like, are there certain things that you have in place that create stability for you to be able to step out into the uncertain the way that you do? Yeah, for me, order comes from accountability, right? So mm. I, I can talk about a crazy idea. I can throw out a new, new like business or marketing idea or adventure idea or whatever it is. That's not going to happen unless I actually like share it externally, whether with friends or family or even on social media with the world. As soon as I pronounce something and put put that idea out there, for me, the trigger, the the flip that uh, switches. Or the switch that flips? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I think like, both works. <laughs> uh, so what what happens for me is I, I instantly have to say like, okay, that's, that's the thing I'm pro- proclaiming to people that I'm going to do. And now 
I have accountability to get it done. And so then I kind of go into the other side, right? Chaos is, is the, like the ideas that are floating around my head. And, and then, and then I like shout one out. And then now the next point is like, how do I bring that to life? And that's, you know, holding myself accountable to having told people about it and wanting to follow through on the idea. And then from, I can get very structured and systems focused around breaking down the steps to get it done you know, it's, it's so easy for, to relate everything to a mountain metaphor, but like legitimately this is, it's like, I, I told you like the first time I saw Rainier, I was terrified, but then you take step, 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 but you know, eventually you'd get up the mountain. And when you like are face to face with the trail, it's not as hard as when you're, uh, you know, a mile away, it looks like it's a sheer cliff, but then you get up close and you see what to hold, you see where to step. And it's, I think that's the same thing with any kind of planning around your projects, your business. It's like you, you can say you want to, you know, increase revenue by a million, 10 million, wherever you're at by next year. And that might sound like a insane goal, but that's when you're a mile away. That's when you're a year away, like start to break it down into quarters, into months, into days. And, Mm -hmm. and like, what are the steps to back away from that? And that's how I've always approached planning is like seeing whether it was adventure or business, I could see that here's this giant peak that we want to ascend. Here's this giant goal. What are the camps to get there? What are the steps to get to the camps? What are, what are the, what's the resources that I need? What's the gear that I have to put in my back? What are the team members that I need on this journey? And I've been able to plan with that. And so that's for me, order comes from trying to achieve the big goal because of accountability. Oh, that's so good. And, and I think, yes, there's so many parallels to business. I want, I want us to stick on the mountain idea first, but just because I think it, it does translate so well. Like, how do you decide which adventure is next? And then for you as a person that maybe has a little bit of wanderlust associated with, there's all these awesome things that we could do. How do you actually make that decision, given that every decision to pursue something that could take upwards of a year to prepare for represents an opportunity cost of all these other things that you're saying no to? And there's some personality types that it's like that could cripple them and they end up never making a decision, never climbing any mountain. So what is your decision making process on stuff like that? I mean, the ones that I got laser focused on, it was Aconcagua, it was Denali. Those are the ones that I like, I was able to convince friends to quit their jobs, to follow me out onto these crazy mountains, right? Yeah, uh, legal like, con man, legal, legal con man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the ones I got laser focused on. Um, I don't know, everything else, like I could have fun anywhere I go. And a lot of it came from like, you know, me looking at what is the next big challenge in the next 90 days? Is it, is it that I'm going to run an ultra marathon? Is it that I want to, you mentioned Orizaba, right? Like I had, I had heard about, Pico de Orizaba, the tallest mountain in, in uh, Mexico. It's like 19,000 feet, stratocone volcano down there. I just thought like, that'd be a cool weekend trip. So <laughs> it was something that over, over the course of a couple of years kept like rolling in the back of my head. And then it, it wasn't until my, uh, my friend Ryan, I was able to like, you know, just plan it with him and just book the weekend and say, all right, cool. Friday, we're flying to Mexico. Saturday, we're going up the mountain. We're not acclimatizing. We're just going to go for the top. And then Sunday, we're flying back. And, and we, we did it and we summited and got really lucky with weather. So there's some stuff that is very just on a whim and there's other stuff that I plan for, for two years. And there's other stuff that I don't instigate. There's other stuff that, um, you know, like a friend might say that they just bought a boat and they're going to take it out sailing. And I'm like, cool, I'm coming. Right. Like that sounds Mm -hmm. fun. Let's go. But you can't be ready for the impulsive moves if you're over planned. 
And so I, I've always had an aversion to over planning as well. As much as I was talking about like the the structured system side of planning and making sure you're going towards those big, big goals, you have to leave gaps in your life and in your schedule for things to just happen. Yeah, man, that's not something you're going to hear on a lot of business podcasts or in a lot of business books is like you don't overplan this thing. Like you've got to leave room for life to happen, but, and kind of transitioning into marketing and business. Like, I think that actually is a really smart business strategy is preserve enough margin in your life and in your leadership to make sure that the unexpected, which will occur, that there's actually room for it. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about, Jonathan. A hundred percent. I think all the experiences that I've had where I've landed in a country and had no itinerary, I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. I didn't know where, like what was, you know, how I was going to get from here to there, all of those kinds of things. And then even in the mountains, when like the weather changes on a dime, like I've I've been in these wild environments and learned that it, like you need that in your life. The more you can introduce chaos, the more you can get confident with pivoting and and the more you gain resourcefulness in whatever situation. And I also think this goes back to my childhood too. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. Like I was born in uh, Illinois and then we moved to North Carolina and then back to Illinois and we spent some time in Florida and then we came up to the Northeast and that was all before I was in third grade. And I think so there was just like a something in my DNA about like being uprooted from a school system and a friend circle and, and a neighborhood and then entering the unknown in this move and learning that I could make new friends and I'd be fine. Right. And so that fueled everything later on in the adventure. And then that fueled everything in business. And so when something like COVID hits in March of 2020, of course I was fearful for like the world and my family's and friends health, but I wasn't fearful for anything about our business because I could pivot like that. The next day we had an entirely new marketing like strategy and I wasn't worried about it because I'm, I'm not worried about the weather changing. Gosh, that's so good. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I've followed, I've followed train you for so long now and I've followed y'all's marketing for so long now. And it's kind of like for anyone that has followed train marketing and kind of y'all's presence to the outside world as a brand, it's like hearing you talk kind of makes it all make sense. It's like, okay, like I, I now understand a little bit more about why this is like it is because it's like there is nothing that says that a digital training playbook should have the marketing strategy and approach that y'all, I mean, it's just so creative and innovative and wild and I just sometimes out of left field, but it, it works and it's working. So I want us to jump into that topic of marketing. And, and first, I'd love us just to hear a little bit from you. Like, when you think of the topic of marketing, how do you think about that topic? And how do you come at that topic, even just starting from what it is, like, and how you perceive, like, what is the definition of marketing, all the way into how it manifests when companies do it well? I think marketing is attention meets sales. Right. I think that like if I define my role, I would say I would say I'm responsible for driving the revenue and the brand of Trainual. You know, and of course we've got customer success responsible for like uh, you know net retention revenue and upsells, and we've got a sales team that is responsible for of course driving more revenue, but they're primarily inbound. We don't actually have a robust outbound sales feature, so everything that that we close for Trainual is driven through our marketing and our brand reputation. And so that's, I think, what the, the core of great marketing is. It's, it's a deep passion and understanding of consumer attention 
and how to resonate with your audience and 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 not just not just to sell them but resonate with them like you know in the worlds they care about in the in the cultural zeitgeist and and the pop culture consciousness of where they live when they are not at work and and then also how to see the the long-term vision of like what that means for like if you're there if you're hanging out with with them when they're working and not working and showing up and you're adding value and you're adding entertainment and you're speaking their language then sales are on the other side of that so mm-hmm. for me it's it's attention and sales man that that word attention it means so much more to me after like uh, our COO Zach who I know you've talked to before like he he puts so much profundity on that word attention and he just believes like man if we can find ways with regard to our marketing with regard to our podcast with regard to our social media outreach stuff like that to measure and manage and increase attention it's almost like sales follows so can you explain a little bit of like when you think of that word attention what does that mean with regard to Trainual and Trainual's business strategy, and why is that word so important, Jonathan? I mean, attention is everything, right? Like we we have people say time is everything, but time is tied to attention. We have so many hours in the day that we're going to pay attention to anything with in regards to like what we're doing in our life. We're going to pay attention to our our spouse, to our kids, to our our, our work, to our passions. Um, we're going to meditate. We're going to create. We're going to run where like you, you focus your attention on certain things. And then how does your world build around that? What are the threads that connect? And for a lot of people, it might be that they're watching Netflix or Hulu with their spouse. For a lot of people, it might be that they're listening to a podcast on a run. For a lot of people, it might be that they're listening to music while they're working, you know? And so when you start to figure out like, what, what are the primary colors of somebody's day? And, and, and then what threads connect that and what are they doing while they're doing that? And you start to ask all those questions and peel back the layers of that onion and you start to understand your audience on a much deeper level than just like, this is the age group and, and this is the, you know, socio gender demographics or whatever it is. You, you start to understand psychographic elements of what makes them tick. What do they care about? What do they think is fun? What do they think is funny? And when you can start to pull on those threads you're not trying to disrupt, you're trying to work seamlessly into their day. And I think that that's what a lot of, a lot of marketing and advertising that, that fails is it's when you're clicking through your Instagram story feed and it's like immediately, you know, it's like an ad and somebody's just trying to sell you. They're trying to just like throw something into your face. They're, they're like you, it's almost like you're, you're hanging out with your friends, you're having a nice meal. And then all of a sudden you turn and you're in a batting cage and there's just balls screaming at your face. Right. And you're trying not to get hit until you take out the door and then you're back to your friend feed. That's what bad (laughs) advertising is like is stepping into a batting cage without a helmet or a bat. And, and like, you don't want that. You want somebody to step into your ice cream shop and be like, Oh, this is a nice little treat. Here's a sorbet to uh, like cleanse my palate before I talk to my next friend. And the only way to do that is to understand who they are and what they care about and make content that adds value or is fun or fresh or entertaining or surprising and is not something that feels disruptive, but feels additive. Okay, so let's jump into some of your favorite examples of how y'all have done this, like content that is surprising, spontaneous, additive, like sometimes shocking, sometimes innovative and creative. What are, what are your favorite examples of what Trenial's done? And if you don't say some of mine, I'm going to say some of mine. So go for it. <laughs> 
Well, the first, the first one that would come to mind for me is probably the, the same one that comes to mind for you. And that's what we did with the office characters. I assume that's where you were going. Yeah, dude. Yes. And that's, yeah. that's the, the, uh, the way that I heard about train Yule, which is crazy. And I mean, I think that's a case study too, is like, I was at Ramsey solutions. I was operating as a business and leadership coach and someone brought up on a mastermind with 10 other CEOs who are literally all of y'all's ideal customers. And they said, Oh my gosh, I just saw this ad. It was hilarious. It was a character from the office and it was for this thing called trainual. And it's apparently this like digital playbook or whatever. And literally I watched as every single one of the CEOs on that call started writing down the name and started looking into trainual on their web. I was like, this is the most brilliant thing on the planet. So, I mean, that's what it was, right? It was Facebook ads with office characters, correct? That y'all somehow hunted down and got to advertise your product. Yeah, it was it was a uh, Facebook and Instagram ads with Leslie David Baker who played Stanley, with Kate Flannery who played Meredith, and uh, Brian Baumgartner who played um, Kevin. Right, like the three characters of the office that most <laughs> needed training, and and we got them to just kind of talk about like how how they needed uh, needed training or like that they never read the handbook or that like you know you need you need to put a uh, manual in place because of employees like me like we had them play with with that a little bit and just spliced it together into a montage of them three and and I think you know that was probably the first time that those characters have been brought together since the office had gone off the air until later that year. John Krasinski did like, uh, he, he had a little reunion of the characters on his uh, Some Good News Zoom show. <laughs> you beat Jim to the punch yeah. of getting all those characters. Right. Okay, so so like who's, you got to walk me through, like whose idea was that? Was this your, your idea or, or who came up with this? It's always hard to pinpoint that between Chris and I. I mean, we, we <laughs> just both are, uh, are just, I don't know idea factories and then we just feed off of each other and riff together and add on to it but he and I were we were at uh TechCrunch Disrupt in in 2019 and saw a, a like animated picture of Stanley on a banner and we were like hey that's that's cool like we've always kind of played with uh having the office characters or, or the office account and our, like a demo content like would be cool to actually reach out to them and so uh, he was the first one we we started messaging, and then it was just like, well, let's just get a couple in here. That'll be more powerful than than just one. I don't know. It just built naturally on top of itself. So, so I can just see like there's so many workplaces in America that that starts as a fun and funny and maybe even effective idea, and it stays just as an idea. Like no one ever actually acts on it, right? Like I think of it kind of as like a Mount Rainier example. Is it's like well, we'd have to be pretty lucky for that to work out, right? And so because it would require some luck, we're not even going to try. And so how does it fit into y'all's business strategy? And how do y'all like, how do y'all decide whether or not you're going to pursue those things where it's like, who knows how effective this will actually be? Who even knows if we can get them to commit to it? Like, this seems like we don't have a lot of proof text that this works. It may cost a little bit of money, but we're just going to go for it. Like explain a little bit of that process of making the decision to be like, no, we're going to, we're going to climb this mountain. (laughs) Yeah. I am like 80 or 90% intuition and 10 to 20% data, um, (laughs) which is not how most people operate, but like, I don't make decisions off of like needing to look at, at user research and, and like market analysis and reports. Like I make decisions off of just generally what I feel like is going to be a good idea that's going to resonate. And for the most part, they have. It's funny, like, <laughs> Chris has learned to trust this a little bit more. 
But in like summer of 2018, our, our friend Russ, Russ Perry, who's the CEO and founder of Design Pickle, they were doing like an April Fool's Day thing with Design Pickle where they launched Jingle Pickle as a joke. And he had made like three jingles on the, on the website as examples. And one was for Trainual. And it was just like a dubstep beat with Russ going like, it's training, it's a manual, it's Trainual. And, uh, and, and so I just thought it was hysterical. And I grabbed that audio and just put it literally onto a square tile of, with a purple background. And it said training, manual, Trainual logo, and just looped it. And, and I remember, <laughs> I remember like queuing that up to be an Instagram ad. And Chris said to me, he's like, if this works, I, I'm going to quit. And uh, <laughs> because it was just so ridiculous. And it turned out incredible. It converted so much. And just people were sharing it and they thought it was so funny. And that, uh, you know, fortunately, Chris didn't quit. But that kind of, that was like the earliest thing that was just like way out of left field. Let's, uh, like, let's just see what happens. And then that started to inform the fact that, like, we are not like, you know, any other. HR tech or B2B SaaS out there. Like we, we are operating out of the more of the like consumer marketing, but even just the culture playbook, right? Like not just consumer marketing, but I always wanted to do stuff that felt like it connected to what was relevant and fun today, what people care about versus, you know, in the media. I've always been so passionate about media. I think one of my superpowers is I could probably quote every line from from like every movie I've ever seen. Like <laughs> we'd be talking and, and and like I'll just randomly think back to like a scene from Home Alone or or like The Rescuers Down Under that would like perfectly like align with the exact thing that we're talking about. And so I've always just like felt very connected to storytelling as rooted in media like music and movies and TV shows. And having that mindset brought to trainual marketing is, I think, what has allowed us to, to like keep our, our finger on the pulse of how to do things different than the rest of B2B marketing companies out there. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, I, there are software companies that are at your stage and that are at your size that like their mind is blown that y'all aren't doing like a b testing on every single idea that comes through the door and it's like what you literally just took a joke jingle and ran it as an instagram and it worked out. i mean that's just so counterintuitive i'd i'd love to know like specifically what you're talking about is like tapping into pop culture and leveraging that is that like a philosophy that was informed by a thought leader or by something you read? Or was that literally like an original philosophy that you just said, this is something that I'm good at, right? And I can memorize movie quotes and follow what's going on in the world like nobody's business. And I just want to incorporate that into our marketing. Like, where did that come from, Jonathan? I think it's a, it's a little of the second of what you just said of just like, you know, what's what comes naturally to me. But then it's also understanding like who is the trainual buyer, right? And and the, it's it's people that grew up typically, people that grew up in the 80s, 90s that are passionate uh, entrepreneurs or small business leaders, people managers that are a- ambitious, they're, you know, systems focused, they're trying to scale their teams, they're type A personalities a lot of times and they like just having a deep understanding of who that person is and then connecting that to well wh- you know, what shows do they watch? And what do they read? And, and like, that was, you know, the very first ad we ever ran for Trainual was Chris sitting at a table, holding up a copy of the E-Myth. And because we were like, all right, people that have read the E-Myth are going to get 
train you all. It's just going to like, they're going to understand it. And, and so we, we like, we're like, let me, how do we stop people in their, in their feed? How do we stop people from scrolling? They're going to see a copy of the book that they love. Right. Mm. So we had Chris holding up a copy of the book. And as soon as he catches, he puts it on the table and he's like, so, you know, what you learned in the e-myth was this, but you didn't teach how to do this. And so that's what we did. Right. And, and so that was the first thing we did and instantly informed like, okay, what else are they reading? Scaling up and built to sell and rich dad, poor dad. And what else are they watching? And who's out there watching like documentary after documentary after documentary? No, they're watching the office. They're watching friends. They're, they're watching Marvel and, and having, uh, you know, that kind of crossed the chasm. And then it was like, all right, so these people grew up in the eighties, nineties, what feels fun and nostalgic. And that led us to, uh, d- doing a campaign with Montel Jordan, right? This is how we do it. That was always like our, our, um, <laughs> our joke anthem for Trainual. It, it's like small business owners are trying to teach people like, this is how it's done, right? This is how we do it here. And, and so we always like had that song in our minds as that'd be cool to, to like work with in an ad campaign or work with Montel. And, and so we reached out to him and I, I ended up like childhood dream coming to life of writing music with a legend. And I wrote a song with Montel that we just dropped. And it's like, it remixes that song into, uh, like an entrepreneurial anthem that has that hook that this is how we do it hook, but it's fresh. And we worked that into an ad campaign with Damon John, who just, became, uh, you know, he jumped into our series B that we just closed. And so he was kind of in the mix and we, we were in New York at the same time. And we brought him in for a campaign featuring the song and all of those plays. It was like at the heart of it, entrepreneurs in our target market are watching Shark Tank and entrepreneurs in our target market grew up in the eighties and nineties and will love this remix of a song that feels nostalgic for them. Yeah. And we're literally recording this conversation on the day that song comes out, which I, I mean, I was listening to it right before I got on here with you. And it was it was such a bizarre thing looking up a song on Spotify and seeing the artist's name as Montel Jordan, comma, Trainual. And I was like, that has got to be one of the most innovative, like that is so bizarre. And then you see the guy and he's, or you see Montel in like the video that they have on Spotify and he's wearing the train Yule hat and, and like Damon John is there too. And I was just like, this is the future. Like it's happened and they've done it. This is amazing. Um, okay. So I didn't ask you, would you do this? Go ahead. I was going to say, did you actually click on Trainual? Because in order to even get a, a, a Spotify artist profile, you have to have had music released, right? Oh, and no so prior way. to putting out the song, prior to putting out the song with Montel, we had to make sure we had an artist profile so that like when we queued it up with Montel, we could select Trainual as an artist. So two weeks before... I put out a song under Trainual called Straight Out of Google Docs, and it was just like a minute long <laughs> rap that I, I threw together. It feels like like Snoop Dogg, like old school West Coast rap, and and it was just like I, I threw it down real quick, and uh, and so that was the first thing that Trainual dropped, and then the Montel song is a follow up. So anybody that clicks through to find out who we are is gonna is gonna see the uh, the, the the other rap. Okay, we're definitely going to put the link to that in the show notes. Thanks for the behind the scenes there. That's killer. Okay, um, I, I didn't ask you this before, so we can edit this out if, if it's not cool. But would it be cool if we played a clip in this episode of the Montel Jordan song so people know what we're talking about right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay, set it up for him, Jonathan. I, I was just going to say the, the fun thing about this is like it was even strange. Like when we actually started talking with Montel and, and I was like, 
I want to write a song together for like a, a campaign here. And he thought that was cool. And then initially, like what, what the first concept was, was like super trainual, like marketing, right? The, the initial lyrics that, that we were playing with and, and that, that he brought to the table, like he thought that we wanted him to do like basically a jingle. And I was like, no, man, I like, we're going to use this for the campaign, of course, but I want this to be a song that if, if I had nothing to do with it, I would want to license this for ads that we were running because it's so perfect and because like our target audience just loves it. I want this I want this to stand on its own without Trainual as an entrepreneur anthem. And that was like the light bulb moment for all of us and for Montel to really like then he was unleashed and was like, "Oh, all right. This is this is like a real real artist project. You guys are going to let me be creative and we're going to like figure out how to find this voice of entrepreneurship within a track that just like people are going to love that's not you know, that, I think that's my perspective on our marketing is I just don't want it to be salesy and marketing. I want it to be like legit. I want you to be able to consume it because you like it and we're associated with it. Oh yeah. Okay. So with that, we're going to play a clip of it right now. And then all of you are going to go add it to your running playlist. This is, this is how you do it by Montel Jordan and train you. Montel, train you Make a lifestyle hide in a month. Been a real long time coming up. And we ain't slowing down. Can't stop it now. My energy hot to death. So fly, I should clone myself. I got my playbook trumped in a rip. People doubting me, but just wait and see. Can't count all the ways I've been down. I've been burned. And these are the lessons I've learned. This is how. When the grind takes more than under five, yeah. This is how you do it. When you go through, baby, I'm gonna show you. This is how you do it. Won't stop till we're sitting on top. This is how you do it. This is how you do it, yeah. Do what I love. Do it. Yeah. I love what I do. Do it. Let me show you. Everybody thinking it's love They dreaming about it, I'm showing up And I'm still up in the big black truck I got a system for every open door Too long, I've won too many hats Got my crew now, they got my back The paper stack, I'm down with that Said I'm down with that Can't count all the ways Up and down, I've been burned And these are the lessons I've learned Yeah When the grind takes more than nine to five, yeah. This is how you do it. When you go through, baby, I'ma show you. This is how you do it. Won't stop till we're sitting on top. This is how you do it. This is how you do it, yeah. I do what I love. I love what I do. Let me show you. Oh, 
Okay, that is just so, so good. Uh, so tell people about like, what do you do with that song now? Like it's out into the world now, it released today. Like what are the goals for that song and, and what is really the objectives for doing marketing like that? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, so we launched it on Spotify today. We're, we're doing, of course, some Spotify advertising. Um, we, we've got a whole like TikTok influencer c- campaign queued up for people to like use the track and dance with it and for Montel to jump in and do some duets with them. And, um, and the, at the root, it's just to spur engagement and interest and conversation. I think if, you know, my, my personal goal, I'd love to see a million streams on this song in the next month. That'd be sweet. And then if it's if it like blows up from there, amazing. But um, we are dropping actually a, um, a whole ad campaign with Montel and with Damon John uh, starting next week. So it's not just the song. There's like five different commercials and a bunch of different story ads, and and like we're gonna be running this on Hulu and Peacock and Discovery Plus and social and uh, and and billboards and airports. And so it's a it's a giant like. I guess the most omni-channel campaign possible, right? We've got a song, a music video, like out of home, uh, OTT performance streaming, uh, social. So it's all of that is connected, and that's all meant to drive just national brand awareness and conversation and interest uh, leading up to a big event that we are doing at the end of this month and leading up to Chris launching a book called The Business Playbook. Um, so everything has a reason for why we're driving this kind of attention now, but the hope is that the attention that we're driving isn't a, a flash in the can, that it's more evergreen because it's real entertainment and not just a, a you know, a one pop ad. Man, uh, I'm so grateful that I got to know Chris and the brand trainual a, a, a few years ago, because I think if I hadn't, I would look at what y'all are doing right now and I would be, I mean, honestly intimidated. I'd be like, oh my gosh, they have like, they are like the master strategists that have this all figure out and they're just playing everything like pawns on the field and it's all connected. Like the the song is connected to the book, is connected to the event, like it's, and it all flows together and they've just, they've got this figured out. But what's so cool is I think I met Chris probably maybe three years ago now or something like that. And it's like, I think I want to say y'all had like 40 team members or something like that at that time. And, and it was like a very like scrappy, small, growing fast, but growing company. And what I've seen is that it's not like you suddenly shifted and became this company that earned the ability to do things that were creative. It's like y'all were doing things that were creative from the beginning. And so as a result, because I've seen that trajectory, I'm not intimidated. I'm more inspired because it's like, oh, well, this is totally possible for them. That means it must be possible for us. And like we could do this as well. And so I think that can be one of the limiting beliefs sometimes for small business owners is they can look at a company like y'all's and say, well, oh, well, they're a software company. They can do creative stuff like that. Uh, and, and that's not for me. That's not for my business. That's not for what we do. What would you tell that person about marketing, Jonathan? Why would a SaaS company ever try to get on the billboard charts, right? Like, what? It's not just because we're a software company that we have permission to or or like a lane for doing things like this. I would argue that that, that we have like no permission to do some <laughs> of the things that we're doing. Uh, so I would I would I think the thing that people need to do is get out of their own way and stop overthinking it. Right? Uh, like you mentioned uh, three years ago, you know we weren't forty, we were five. 
we were 40 uh, a year ago and we're, we're over 60 now, but three years ago it was five. And then, you know, that was what, 2018? Yeah, five. And then 2019 was like 19 people. And then, and then by the end of last year, we were around 40 and now we're like 66. And that's when we've been around for three and a half years. But yeah, the DNA of our approach to all this has remained the same. It's like we, we have fortunately been able to do, you know, larger scale productions, but it's come from the same authentic voice, the same like brand creativity. It just in the first year and a half, it was like all me and Chris in, <laughs> in our candid videos doing whatever we were doing. And then, uh, you know, and then fortunately a year and a half ago, it was like, we did the office thing and now it's the Damon and Montel thing. And who knows what, what the future, uh, holds. It's wild to think about where we'll go. I just see marketing as a playground. And I think too many people like take it too seriously. Marketing is so fun and you have so much freedom to be creative and, and users like your consumers, your audience wants you to be creative. They're dying for it. It's why in the last year and a half, TikTok blew up because the amount of creativity and originality coming from that platform and the authenticity of the voices on that platform, it's just refreshing. And that's what people want. And so I think like the way that people fail in, in their marketing and don't allow themselves to go down these kinds of routes with creativity and out of the box, you know, strategies is that, they're trying to read some best practice article and, and find, you know, what the, this person who's already done this is saying is like the, the right way to do it. It's like, by the time that gets published, by the time somebody gives you a best practice, it's not anymore. It was their best practice that got them there, but that's not relevant anymore because marketing too, moves too fast. So like, take it with a grain of salt. Man, I love, I love the idea of marketing as a playground like that. That's such a powerful concept. It's like, it's also so encouraging for me to hear you say that, like, you go more off of intuition than data. So associated with that, are there any stories of marketing flops, either with Trainual or some of the other companies that you've worked with in the class where you had this idea and it's like, that did not work out the way that I planned or that did not work out the way that I wished it would have? Yeah, I, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind, it was for Trainual. It was within, you know, we were around for like a year and a half at the time. And do you remember the, uh, the game? It's still around, but it's called Heads Up. And it's like you, you have it on your phone and it shows people that are looking at your face, the little clue. And then if you get it right, you go down. If you get it wrong, you up. So I was seeing that these videos, because Heads Up actually records the game from the phone's perspective, looking at who's guessing, it, it, it actually records that video. I was seeing actually in, in the feed, people sharing the videos of them playing and all the ridiculousness that goes on with guessing in, in those crowds and was like, that's interesting. We could recreate that. And, and so I sat there with a phone and we, you know, we weren't actually playing, but I was having like the four people, you know, employees that were sitting on the couch shout back as if the clue was like where the people and friends get coffee and they would shout back like central perk. And then the next thing was like the boss in the office and they shout <laughs> back, uh, Michael Scott. And the next thing, the, the vision was that the clue was trainual. And so everybody on the couch was, was yelling back like, Oh, like, uh, onboarding and training app, like business playbook software. <laughs> uh, like they're yelling the things that it is. And, and then some, uh, someone was like, uh, and then I go, Oh, trainual. And then go down. And then, uh, so that was the ad was to try and run something in a feed that felt like we were just posting like a game video, but it was like actually positioned to get you to, to know what is trainual. I thought that was so smart and would work so well. 
and it just did not total flop. It, uh, like <laughs> we put you know, more budget behind it than we should have, and uh, and learned that people did not they did not wait long enough in the video to get to the point where they even like heard about Trainual. So that one didn't work out, but it was fun to try, and that <laughs> you know it also. It also helped our employees like feel that we could do things like that, right? Because they were involved in that production and we had fun creating it and then it was fun putting it out and everybody thought it was like a, a, you know, a cool idea. And the fact that it didn't work and that, you know, Chris and I were just like, whatever, that was a lot of fun. Like, let's think about the next thing. It gave them permission to, to know that we can do that here. I love that. Next question is kind of a selfish question, but I think it's applicable to everyone that's listening is we are currently hiring for a marketing director role right now. And literally hearing you talk is so much of what I want in this role for our team. I want someone that has the creative freedom and desire to go literally just try stuff So what would you say in like an interview process and in a recruitment process, what are you looking for to find that person? And then I have a follow-up question to that. Yeah, so uh, three things. You want to find some, well, this is, I guess, two things, but you want to find somebody who, in, in my opinion, this is what I'm always looking for, is really good in math and science. Like take it back to to school, right? Math and science might have been their best subjects, but they also played an instrument. Huh. Find somebody who who like really thrives in meticulous analytical thinking that math and science demands, but they also have activated the creative side of their brain in that they can play an instrument and likely do other creative things. What you know, maybe it's not an instrument, but maybe they're an artist. Like find somebody who has both of that, uh, both of those sides. And then also, I'm always looking for somebody who has attempted a side hustle because what that means is you've you've tried to bring an idea to life you have thought about a brand uh, name you have maybe made a logo you have spun up a website you have tried to make a social media profile you've run a, an email newsletter you like somebody trying to like be a, a solopreneur on their own with something that doesn't really take off and then they're like now you know now I need to actually go get a job that's so powerful so powerful because they've uh, uh, like gotten all those different skills, whether it be coding or, or writing copy or designing or, you know, shooting videos or editing uh, graphics or anything else. Like find somebody who has tested the waters and all of that, even if they're not all stars on every single thing, just attempting to do that one shows you that they have versatility and how they think about potential avenues of marketing, right? Because if you get somebody who's just focused on performance and paid, that's all you can hold them accountable to. If you, if you have somebody that's just focused on social media, it's hard to build out a more comprehensive strategy. If you're looking for your like first marketing director or like marketing leader, you want somebody who has jumped in the waters of all those different skill sets, likely for their own thing, because they were passionate enough and curious enough and determined enough to try to figure it out on their own. And that's what they will bring to you is that same kind of determination and resourcefulness and hard like work ethic to try to figure it out no matter what the initiative is. Man, that's really help that's helpful for me personally. So so then the the follow-up question to that is as an owner, I think that the 
tension you can experience if we're looking at that definition of marketing that you used earlier, attention meets sales, is that I've learned even from this podcast that there's so much value in attention. And we'll have leads come in now for one-on-one coaching that we do that literally people say, I've been listening to your podcast for six months now, and I finally decided to take the the jump and reach out and, and talk to you all about this. And at the stage that we're at, it's like, that's huge when that comes through. And so I've learned that attention is such a power powerful thing. And it can sometimes be a slow burn. And I think the tension for the business owner is like, okay, I feel this pressure, like we need sales and we need the marketer to like help us get sales. And at the same time, I want them to experience the freedom of like, I want you to try some stuff that could result in us getting attention that will long-term result in sales, but it might not be an instant payoff, if that makes sense. So number one, is that is that an accurate description of what you think could be reality? And then number two, like how would you address that, Jonathan? It is an accurate description, but I think how you address it, like if you broke down our content strategy, right, we've got the, the podcasts where we're adding value every day or every week incrementally. We've got the blog posts where we're, we're teaching, we're, you know, given how to's and breakdowns of keywords and, and like, uh, playbooks for this and that and templates, but it's like on the advertising and social media marketing side of things on that side, it's not just repurposing the, the podcasts and the blogs in terms of value add content, the stuff that's actually driving short-term sales, right? Like all that long-term value and, and your, your podcast listeners that will drive long-term brand loyalty and, uh, and, and long-term revenue. But on the short-term side, it's the plays we've done, like the office, like the, you know, the Montel Damon thing, like some of the other creative, like videos that we've shot ourselves, like, I don't know if you've seen, we had an ad that basically showed like a Dyson vacuum sucking up, like uh, it, it said SOPs in kitty litter oh, and processes oh, yeah. in glitter. Oh yeah, right? you definitely so just, like, got me with that one. You totally, I totally paused on that one. <laughs> so so we're like, we, we spelt out things on a floor with like dirty stuff and sucked it up in a vacuum and then pretended to connect the vacuum to a laptop and sink it and, <laughs> and show that like this stuff goes here right? Trainual is a thing that sucks all this and organizes it together. We've just had fun with those like surprising metaphors. Same thing with like, we've got uh, an ad where our video creator, he's, he set up a whole line of dominoes. And I'm sure you've seen those videos where you're watching like an obstacle, uh, like a little, uh, you know, mousetrap isk thing. Like the, remember the game mousetrap where you just watch the stuff happen or dominoes. We set that up so that like you'd watch all the dominoes, but it would get to a point and then it would just not like it would, it would go the wrong way and not finish and it'd be frustrating. But then like the, the thing, the voiceover would be like, you know, one broken process in your business can break your whole your thing. Like, and then we pull it back to the value prop at Trainual, and it's that stuff that drives the short-term sales. It's those entertaining campaigns that feel fun in your feed and, and like stuff you want to watch there's no value add to watching the domino thing and then getting our, our like value prop at the end of it. There's no value add to watching that vacuum video other than it's entertaining and it communicates a, a message via a creative way to illustrate a pain point. Mm. But that stuff is what drives a lot of the short-term sales. And then the, the like podcasts and blogs drive a lot of the long-term value and loyalty. Gosh. And I think the thing that is so important for me to remember and hearing about all the things that y'all are doing and have done is I can get this idea in my head that's like, oh, well, it's Trainual. Of course, Trainual does that. And it's like, again, it's like there is no, of course, Trainual does that. Like a digital training playbook 
that honestly, just as an idea, should be outrageously, incredibly boring and dry and stale, right? And so it's it's like not this given thing, but y'all have done it so well that you've made it to where it's like, it's almost like watching a swimmer in the Olympics. It's like, they make it look easy. Like, well, I mean, why would it not be that way? Of course it would be that way, right? And so the takeaway that I take from that is we work with people that have uh, high-end landscaping companies. We work with people that have marketing agencies or, or financial services forms or, or branding companies, right? And I, I work with an excavation company out in Oregon. And it's like, there's nothing that says that those people can't be 50% more creative in their marketing, right? There's not, and, and the only thing that would actually stop that is exactly what you said. It's like, if they get in their own way, that's what will stop that. So I would love to know, like, what is the challenge that you would give to every small business owner that's listening to this with regard to how they think about their marketing? Pay attention acutely for the next two weeks or a month to what, what you stop to watch. When you're scrolling through your feed, through Instagram, through TikTok, through Facebook, whatever else, when you're like watching TV or just pay attention to what you pay attention to. And when you start to catalog that, you can you know start to understand what is getting getting me to stop? What is getting me to to like care about what I'm seeing and why? And start to ask those questions. And, you know, hopefully it's not just like crazy volatile like uh, political commentary on every channel, right? And it's, and it's like more entertaining stuff. But I'd say one is just paying attention to what you pay attention to, and then dissecting why, and then thinking like, how can I create stuff that's as uh, scroll stopping as that? Like if I think it's cool and if all these other people liking it think it's cool, like how can I do something like that? Right? Like you mentioned a landscaping company. Could, could a landscaping company like spend 300 bucks on a cheap drone and throw that up over the house and, uh, and then like mow some create, like do this 50 times and just mow creative pictures into a, a, a some like people's lawns and, uh, and then like throw it on a time lapse. And now you've got like a, uh, 50, 15 second videos of like cool pictures being mowed into lawns that you can run as Instagram ads and throw on your organic feed. And, and like you, you promote that to a radius of, you know, 15 miles around your city. And, uh, and now you get more bookings in your city because you're like the, 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 the lawnmower uh, picture guy, right? You do things like that. Yeah, do things like, I feel like we just got a sneak peek inside Jonathan Ronzio's head for just a second. Like if you're not a landscaping company that didn't just get on Amazon while you're listening to this podcast <laughs> to buy a drone, then you're crazy. Like that's, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love it's like, like it's like 300 bucks. You have the budget. Why not just try? And and I love also the idea of like what what is scroll stopping for you? And, and and maybe you don't even need a marketing budget. Maybe you just looked at like if you scroll on LinkedIn personally, right? LinkedIn is such a playground right now. Like what are the things I'm thinking for myself? What are the things that I actually stop to read on LinkedIn? And, and what are the things that those posts have in common and how could I produce stuff similar in the same vein as that? Like those are questions that I've never asked before that is literally actionable today. So that that's so helpful. Okay, I want to transition before we run out of time to the topic of leadership. Prior to, to stepping into this role as CMO, I, of course, you were a, an instigator of getting people to pursue ideas. Uh, but like, did you have formal leadership roles to the capacity and to the degree that you are in now at Trainual, where you have a team of people that you're responsible for and you're leading, Jonathan? 
Not to the degree that I have now, but, you know, growing up in the video production business uh, with, with Chris, like I, from an age of, I don't know, 14, 15, uh, and, and then like through high school and college would have to show up to sporting events and manage video operators that were 10 years older than me. And, uh, and so like very early on, I had to develop some leadership skills and managerial skills with vendors and contractors that we had at these events. And that pushed me outside of my comfort zone to be able to do that. And then the, in, in the adventure space, of course, like I, I think some of my most powerful leadership lessons happened in the highest consequence of places, right? Like up, up in Alaska on Denali, I went there with two friends who I had been climbing for, uh, climbing for, I don't know, eight years with, we had gone on so many adventures together. We just like non-verbally knew who did what, like who was in what role and, uh, and who was responsible for what on the, on the expedition and like could just feel our communication without any kind of hiccup. And we also brought one more team member who I'd only ever been on one mountain with for two days, but he, you know, had shown enthusiasm for the journey and we had an extra permit on that climb. So he came with, but he didn't have that same kind of, you know, intuitive communication with us. And, you know, me failing at the time as a leader didn't like stop to talk about like, okay, this is what you know, this is how we communicate. This is what you're responsible for. This is like when it's okay to, to like slow down versus speed up and, and all of that. And so like we got into, we were at like 11,000 feet in a whiteout trying to like cross some snow bridges, uh, to get to the next camp. And we had just seen people like drop into, into crevasse falls at the last camp and it was getting dangerous. And, uh, you know, we had a, a, a huge clash in communication and then, this fourth team member basically had had like a, a breakdown and wasn't able to to really move on because he just we hadn't had effective communication. I didn't like as acutely understand his motivations for the trip as I could have, and so all of that later later on informed like everything that that I've brought to you know trainual as my leadership position now because this is the it's the most people that I've ever had to be responsible for for leading in terms of just like the the company at the scale and you can't effectively lead without overly proactive communication without overly proactive establishing of of decision making processes of roles and responsibilities of and of even understanding you know people's primary motivators what why are they coming to work every single day what makes them tick the things that get me excited about working on what we're working on doesn't get everybody excited. I can bring as much enthusiasm as I do to every meeting, and but that might not translate through the screen to somebody else who, you know, is just either in it for a paycheck or they just like love doing this one specific thing. Whether no matter what company they're at, like trying to understand why somebody somebody is in the seat they're in and what they care about and what their goals are, and then also inviting really, really open, proactive communication. It's just what I've, I've focused on. And I think that all those years of, of having to be one, like a kid managing adults and then two, a friend, a friend managing friends in, in the like, uh, high stakes environment where, where I've had to make calls where it literally in my mind, I'm like, if we keep going forward, we might be okay. If, uh, but my friend might die. If we turn around, we lose our objective and the whole mission is a failure, but my friend might survive. I've had to be in that situation. And so like 
that makes making decisions inside the business a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. That, that's one of the things I thought about whenever you were talking about Rainier and all the mountains that you've climbed too, is it's like, well, in comparison, it's like a risk with a marketing move is really doesn't even feel that risky. And certainly it applies to leadership too. It's like no one's life is on the line. I, I think of that quote though, that says like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I would just assume that with someone that is an adventure-seeking personality type, someone that's high energy, someone that's very creative, it can be really easy in a business setting to move so fast that you look behind and no one's following you anymore because no one could keep up and no one's mind was where your mind was. Have you experienced that as a struggle? And if so, how do you like how do you work on that or how do you grow in that area, Jonathan? Yeah. I've experienced that in a lot of areas. Uh, so I, I mentioned my brother, he's diabetic, right? We were on a trail run together and, uh, and this was in Arizona in the McDowell mountains and I didn't look back. And then all of a sudden I'm at the top of the mountain and he's not there. And I was like hanging there for a few minutes, like where'd Chris go? And, uh, and, and then I go back, I double back and I'm looking and, and like trying to figure out, did he go off trail to, did it, I don't know, go to the bathroom or something? Did he like what happened? Where is he? Is he sitting down for a snack? I, I ran that stretch like probably five different times. Couldn't find him. I was terrified. I thought like maybe he had like fallen off of something or like his blood sugar had gone down. And so I like ran back to the car, just, uh, you know, two X speed as fast as I could for the next like six miles. And I got back and he was just like, you know, sitting there and, and having water and having a snack and he was fine, but he just realized that his blood sugar had gone low and he had no way to like contact me because we didn't have our phones and I was like so far ahead. So he just turned back and that was such a terrifying experience to me because I was so worried about him and his health. And then I've applied that to also everything with business, there have been times where I've been so relentlessly focused on like the next idea and this idea and that and that and like adding all these things up because I can see the big vision, but then realizing that I'm like overburdening my team and burning them out and, and they, they're trying to keep up, but, but, uh, you know, can't with the pace of too many ideas. And so I I've had to, I've had to get a lot better with, I guess, organizing my ideas and cataloging stuff and, and not bringing, like, I, I get so enthusiastic. Then as soon as something hits my, my brain, like I said, I want to tell the world because I want to create accountability to make it happen. And I've had to kind of dial that back to like, tell my iPhone <laughs> into like a, a note or tell, uh, tell my, like, you know, tell Asana, like put it in project management or something and just then re keep revisiting those and figure out, all right, what's going to, what could I actually get done this quarter? What are the things that, you know, this, I, I now know that all this is on everybody's plate. Like, let me start pushing this through and pushing this through. And I've just kind of got to adapt to not overtax everybody is what I've had to do and, and not, you know, be, be like hyper conscious on, where people are at. And that goes back to the over communication thing and creating space where people can, can be vulnerable and be like, look, I, as cool as that sounds, we can't do it right now. Right. Mm. Uh, that is so, that's helpful for me personally. I know that's helpful for the people listening. Uh, one of the things I think about with you and Chris both is Trainual has grown so fast and it's changed so much just over the course of the past three and a half years. 
I just know that the the leaders that were required three years ago are not the leaders that are required today, and it won't be the leader that's required three years from now. And so there's this demand on you and Chris and anyone else in leadership at Trainual to constantly be reinventing themselves and to step into the version of the leader that Trainual needs today. So how do you personally, as the CMO of this rapidly growing brand, make sure that you're applying yourself to that process of reinvention? Yeah, th- this has been a really hard thing for me to learn and go through um, because like delegation was never my strong suit. Chris was really good at being the, the like operational, uh, you know, manager, the most efficient guy, like being able to hand things off. He was really good at that. I'm the younger brother. I was the one he handed things off to. <laughs> right? That's right. And, and so, so through the years, as much as his superpower became understanding how to elevate through the roles and delegate and and expand, my superpower and my like how how I built pride and my ego was tied to like how much I could take on and get done and how good I could be at all these different things at the same time. And so it was so hard for me you know, I wasn't the one that was delegating. I was taking on more and more and more and trying to figure out how to, how to like make it all happen and refine my skills to get better and, and faster. And, and so like my superpower was that I could do all these different things. Right. And in the first year and a half of training marketing, I, I was like, I built our website. I was running our, 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 like doing the blogs. I was writing the newsletter. I was do, like doing all the HubSpot automation. I was building all the systems. I was doing all the tracking pixels. I was running every single ad. I was editing every single video. I was managing social media, like name any marketing discipline. And I was doing all of that within our first year. And then we started to hire around that in like March of 2019. And then you know, slowly I, I began to, to take things off of my plate. It wasn't even until we're three and a half years in now. I don't know how many like other, you know, series B SaaS companies w- would say this, but like our marketing team, 10 people now, it wasn't until February of this year, just over three years into the company that I stopped running our ads. I was responsible for for the whole team and everything else, but I was also until February of, the, of this year the one in Facebook, Google, TikTok, Twitter, everything. Like every morning, that was the first thing I'd jump in. I'd I'd like look through the comments. I'd respond to people because I wanted to be like on the pulse of how people thought about our brand, how people were reacting to things, engaging with like those conversations and what they said, and that further fueled the creative strategy. And then like that was the last like running the ads was the last thing I took off my plate as far as like operations of what I was doing, everything else was, was like outsourced at that time. But that's been a struggle for me, handing things off and, and like allowing and empowering other people to own those responsibilities and grow those roles. I've had to, to really learn to go from being the person doing everything over, over the last three years to being like, you know, now my day is, is mostly like meetings and decisions. And now I'm, I meet with the team and we talk about what's going on and, and like I'll help make decisions or offer guidance or, or solve some problems. I'll jump in when necessary. I, I'll still edit some videos here and there if we need to get some stuff done. And I like that. That's fun. But yeah, that's the biggest thing that I've had to learn is like letting go of where of a huge thing that was tied to my pride and identity was how much I could do. And mm-hmm. being okay with like not, you know, when, st- when stuff actually happens and when campaigns go out or, or like blogs go, like 
not being the one that like people are saying like, oh, nice job on this, Jonathan. It's like, no, no, it's nice job on this, uh, you know, anybody else on the team. I'm, uh, I'm not getting that recognition anymore. And that was something I always craved, right? Like my love language was words of affirmation. And, and so I've had to kind of like let that go to take a back seat and try to like let, you know, help others grow through my skills and knowledge and experience. Man, I feel like you're speaking to the heart of most entrepreneurs right now. And that like that struggle to let go is probably one of the biggest things that they are themselves holding themselves back. What is the biggest piece of practical advice that you would tell someone who self-identifies as struggling with that? I mean, the way that we hired in Trainual Marketing was basically me just deciding what I like to do versus I didn't like to do. Like I, I could do everything, but I didn't want to keep writing the blogs. I didn't want to do the newsletter. I didn't want to be responsible for the website. I didn't like, but editing videos and running ads, like that was still pretty fun to me because it was so creative and you get that immediate kind of, uh, the immediate feedback loop of how people feel about it. And then you also are driving sales. And so you're seeing like MRR tick up while being creative at the same time. So I kind of liked that world more than the other stuff. And that's why all that was handed off first. So for anybody who is feeling like they're struggling to delegate or hand off aspects of their world, it's just simply audit. Here's all the stuff that I do. This is everything I'm, I'm responsible for. Here's everything that's on my plate. Like rate it on a scale of one to five and then filter that list. And anything that's a three or below, figure out who you're hiring next to take those things on. Gosh, that's so helpful. And I appreciate how actionable that is. Thank you. Um, you've alluded to this a couple of times. Y'all just closed out Series B funding. How much did y'all raise again? Uh, 27 million. Holy cow. Congratulations. That That's amazing. Uh, unbelievable. And also I saw it and I was like, this is literally not a surprise at all. Why would they not raise $27 million? Of course they would. But I would assume like associate with that, it's like, there's a lot of weight of responsibility associated with raising $27 million. Like how do you deal with that responsibility and how do you view and mentally approach that just massive influx of pressure and expectation and aspiration associated with this brand. I, I wasn't that stressed about it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, if, for me, it's just, it's, uh, it's fun. It's more, more fuel for the fire, right? Like we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Like we're, we are going to invest heavily in scaling our product and engineering teams in a much bigger way because we've got huge ambitions for how we want uh, this product to better serve our market and where we know this product can go. Um, and then, you know, we, we're also investing in our like customer experience teams and making sure that, that like everybody who touches Trainual is in love with Trainual support because like it's more than support. It's like a concierge service. Like we want to be, we want you to feel like Trainual is your, your, uh, you know, four seasons resort and whatever you like you need, just call the concierge desk and, and let's talk and, and we'll figure out how to make you uh, make your vacation the best possible. Make your stay. The, did you forget toothpaste? We'll send that your way. Right. <laughs> so like, I, I think we're, we're investing in that. And then from a marketing standpoint, it's uh, it just makes me excited about all the you know things we can do. Right. Like we, we got here without that. And, and we just kind of talked through some of the campaigns that we've brought to life and the moves that we've made and the brand that we've built. And now like add, add this to the mix and, I don't feel like we have to spend, you know, any faster or slower. Uh, I feel like we've done a really good job experimenting and dialing in like our, our scale strategy. And, and now it's just, uh, how do we surprise the market next? How, like, what's the next, 
big creative move. So I, I honestly, I don't feel too much pressure around around the raise. I feel excitement around how to uh, apply it against the vision that we have. Because it's not like we don't have a vision that goes out three to five years. So now it's just like, cool, now we know we can do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you kind of think about it. It's like, well, it's not like those investors were idiots. Clearly, there's something there that they're investing in. And it's like, now we just get to go execute. We get to go do this. That's awesome. Before we get to our final question, I I want people to know how they can connect with you and everything that you're doing. Before we get to that, I, I would just tell people like, the reason why we are such big trainual fans at Path for Growth is because we are trainual customers and because so many of our people that we work with are trainual customers. And truly, if you are trying to build a business that is bigger than your quirky and charismatic personality, this is not an optional tool. It's a necessity. Like it, it, This is how you go about scaling things beyond yourself so that you can preserve the values and the beliefs and the principles and the process associated with your business as you start to add people and you can't individually mentor everyone that you bring on board. And so it's such a powerful tool. It's such an intuitive tool. It's such a valuable resource for your team to have. So I would point anyone in that direction and we'll put the link for that in the show notes. Jonathan, anything else you would like to add on Trainual or with regard to how people can stay connected with you and everything that you're doing? I don't know what I could say that's better than what you just said for Trainual, but but I, uh, I I know with the mission of of the show and the audience you're serving, it's about finding you know creative pursuits that that, that have impact, right? And uh, impact on your life, on your freedom, on your potential. And one of the things that I'm most passionate about with what we're doing with Trainual is the very first time I experienced Trainual is before Chris and I even started working on it together. You know, this existed inside of his consulting firm. Uh, for a couple years prior to us, like spinning it out and launching it together. And when I went to Denali on that trip, I was in Alaska for a month. I documented my, like, you know, my content process, like my uh, podcast publishing process, like those kinds of things to keep my, uh, you know, outdoor agency running with friends, with writers, with even my wife, like they were helping do the, do all the things that I needed to get done while I was completely off the grid for a month in the middle of Alaska, like on a glacier. And for, you know, four weeks later I fly, fly off the glacier and I'm back in, in Talkeetna and Anchorage and all the blogs went out and the newsletters went out and the podcast went out and the clients were happy. And, and that was because it was the first time I'd, I'd like documented stuff like that to train other people to do it like that. And so my initial aha experience was like, wow, there's actually, there's something here. This tool can actually make it like, you know, this is what allowed me to not need to do all that and to be off the grid and still get it done. And when I realized that, like, that's what I, I want for anybody out there who's trying to build a business and trying to build a lifestyle and trying to find that kind of freedom. And some days you want to be, you know, working, uh, 16 hour days because you're just that passionate about it. And some days you just want to disconnect and know that it still gets done. And, and for, for me, like, I just want people to pursue the things that they're most happy doing and, and find the most joy they can in their life and to find the things that make them feel alive. It's like what I talked about, about having to do like 10 different lives in one. Like I want to do all this stuff. I can only do that if my time is efficient and if the rest still continues to happen. And I know a lot of people have those kind of aspirations. So when it comes to like impact, it's not just building a cool brand and like a big SaaS product. And like, I genuinely 
I'm super happy that like other people have that same feeling that I had that I'm doing the thing I love. I'm climbing and this work is still happening. And that's such a game changing moment for any aspiring entrepreneur. That's all I'll add to the train you'll wrap up, but to connect with me and anything I'm doing, you can hit me up at uh, Jonathan Ronzio on any platform. Yeah. And we'll put the link to all of that on the show notes. That's so powerful. Um, man, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much for the work that you and your team do because it has made a difference on our business and therefore for our customers. And there's so many of our customers that use your platform as well. So thank you for that. But I think more than that, like, thank you for the example that you're setting, like what you're talking about right now. I think that resonates as like, it resonates for me of like, I want that. And the biggest thing that stops me from pursuing the type of life that you're talking about is this little voice in the back of my head that says that might not be possible. And what's so cool is for you to set the example of someone that is proving that it is. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for living in that way. Jonathan, I appreciate you. Thank you. Gosh, I am such a fan of Jonathan. I, I just love the approach that he has and and just am so grateful for his time and for his intentionality in this conversation. I, I think one of my takeaways from this is sometimes I think that we make things too complicated and we think that if we're going to be a serious business or if we're going to truly grow the way that we want to grow, then we need to have all of these methodical tests being run and A-B trials being run and we need to consistently run everything through a specific methodology and form and function. And I just love that one of his pieces of advice was go with your gut, essentially, And sometimes you know the product, you know the customer, you know the needs of the marketplace, and maybe you need to trust your intuition. I just love that. And I think that's remarkable marketing advice. I also think it's remarkable leadership advice. So Jonathan, thank you for your time and thank you for your investment. Y'all, if you want to stay in touch with everything that we're doing at Path for Growth, you probably know that every Wednesday we send out an email called Worth It Wednesday. That's because most email isn't worth it. So we send one that is. Uh, Every Wednesday we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to get on that list, we'll put the link for that in the show notes. Hey, remember, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. My strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.